do you have the big picture? Do you have the big picture for your life? Is there a big picture for your life? Is there a big picture for your marriage? Is there a big picture for your career? Is there a big picture for your parenting? Is there a big picture for your community? For this great city of Nairobi, for Kenya? Do you have the big picture? This morning, we're wrapping up our series entitled History Maker, in which we've been looking at how the message about Jesus came from this small Middle Eastern enclave and became such a huge force in Europe, a force that will go on to shape culture, politics. If you think of Leonardo da Vinci or Michelangelo in the arts, or if you think of great composers like Handel and Bach, or if you think of great scientists like Sir Isaac Newton, shaped by this message about this man from a little town who died a slave's death. My goal today is to try and give us what I believe is the bigger picture. I want us to zoom out and have a panoramic view and the title of my message is The History Making God. So to understand the big picture, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a step back and, and just summarize global history, a few centuries leading up to where we get into our story. Then I'm going to look at Paul's own personal life history. I want to make two points. Firstly, that God is shaping global history. If you, if you look at Ukraine and Russia and you're pulling your hair out, if, if, you, if you look at what's happening with the shilling, if you look at what's happening with the cost of fuel and the cost of living and think, is there anyone in control? This morning, I'm hoping that you'll leave with the understanding not only with the understanding, but with the encouragement, with the strengthening that comes with knowing that history is not just the result of cosmic chance. History is not just shaped by evil men and evil ambitions, but actually there's a wise, loving God who is shaping global history for his purposes. The second point that I want to make this morning is that God is shaping your personal history. Having considered that, I'll end by just looking at what is the purpose, what is the end to which God is shaping global history and your own personal history. And then perhaps we'll have the bigger picture We'll be able to lift our eyes to the horizon and see this history-making God. Not only see him, but give our lives to participate with what he's doing in our day and time. And so if you have your Bible, please would you turn to me or turn with me to Acts 18 and we'll just read five verses or six from 18 to 23. As you're doing that, um, please just allow me to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful songs that we sang this morning. Um, as we sang of resurrection power, living on the inside. How you cause dead things to come alive and to be able to have new fruit. Lord, we, we thank you that you're a God who sees people in difficult situations, people under oppression, and you're a God who rescues. And Lord, I, I know that it might be difficult for some or even many among us to be able to sing of this resurrection power or 
singing of coming out of darkness, but you are God who is working even in the midst of our suffering. You are God who is working even in the midst of our pain. And I pray this morning that you would speak into our hearts and give us a bigger picture, a bigger picture for our lives, a bigger picture for our community, a bigger picture for our futures. And Lord, not only would we see this bigger picture, I pray would give our lives to participate with you, even as you continue to make history in our day and age. Amen. We'll read from verse 18 in Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila at Cancrea. He had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea or Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now, what I want to do is just to give a recap of what we've seen up to this point. We see verse 18 starts by saying, after this, and uh, while it's referring to the immediate context of what just happened before, when Paul was in Corinth and had been brought before the proconsul and was uh, released, I just want to trace what we've seen in the journey. And so I'll have a map up. Hopefully that works nicely for those uh, just to recap and we'll see how the journey goes. So our story in the history maker starts somewhere in Acts 15 and Paul is in a place called Antioch in Syria and this is where he departs and says he's going to go and strengthen the churches uh, that they uh, ha had seen be, uh, planted before and so he goes through uh, his home area which was Cilicia and Tarsus, that's where he came from, and Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch in Pisidia. That's where they visited in the first missionary journey. And then, strangely, while he wanted to go and preach in Asia, he felt the Spirit of God uh, preventing him from doing that. So he went round. And when he was in uh, Troas, he had a vision of a man of Macedon saying, come over and help us. And that's how they resolved that God was calling them into Macedonia, which is right on the far uh, right. And uh, Greece at the time was divided between the provinces of Macedonia and Achaia. And we saw how Paul went to Philippi and there he met a lady called Lydia. And then uh, they set free this slave girl who had uh, been demonized. And then he, we saw how there was the prison break with the jailer and he came to faith. After that, he went to the capital of Macedonia, which was Thessalonica. And there he was run out of town after spending a few weeks or a few months, but a church was established. After that, he went to Berea, where we saw uh, the, the Jews were more noble. They were willing to listen and day after day were searching the scriptures to hear and to see whether what he was talking about was true. Then we had John Joroge a couple of weeks ago came and spoke to us of Paul in Athens and how he was brought before the Areopagus, this place which served both as kind of an intellectual but also a council, and he presented his message before them. And then uh, I think two weeks ago, we had Obed and Catherine just uh, telling us about Paul in Corinth and how it was just ordinary people, Paul himself and Priscilla and Aquila, who were used by an extraordinary God. And he had that incredible dream where Jesus appeared to him and said, do not be afraid, keep on speaking. I have many people in this city. And there was a bit of uh, ruckus and Paul was brought before the council, uh, the proconsul Gallio. And uh, he was thankfully set free. The charges were dropped. And this is where we are, as Luke says, after this. Now, you might be wondering, 
what in the world does this have to do with God shaping global history? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. You see, over 600 years before Paul and Jesus arrive on the scene, God had given a dream to a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And you can see the story in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2. We won't turn there. And in it, he had seen this idol, this, this statue, which was made of different metals, gold, and there was silver and bronze and iron and clay. And Daniel had come and interpreted this dream. And he had told him that actually what it represented was a number of empires that would come and go. And finally, a, a rock that wasn't cut by human hands came and smashed into this uh, statue. And it says that the rock became a huge mountain. And so what Daniel said was that in the days of that last kingdom, God would establish his own kingdom on earth. You might remember for those of you who are with us during God and politics, we, we, we saw this vision in Daniel chapter 7 of beasts coming out of the sea. And, and these were the kingdoms that had been spoken of earlier in Daniel chapter 2. And during the time of God and politics, we're kind of analyzing that and saying, oh, the, the kingdoms of this world are beastly in nature. And so we, we, we can kind of see that in our politics. But we, we didn't touch on this point that actually, even in the midst of human depravity, even in the midst of one kingdom coming and one kingdom going, my wife says I, I should be careful of, of talking about movies because it comes across as though I'm recommending it. But if you re remember the movie 300, I'm not endorsing it, but if you remember it, if you watched it, this story of, of the, the kingdom of Persia, Xerxes coming and attacking Greece and Sparta. And you think, man, it's, it's, it's just all blood, gore. But actually, God is shaping history for his purposes. And this is how he shaped it. If you follow that statue, you see that the first kingdom was Babylon. They came and destroyed the kingdom of Israel and destroyed his temple in 586 BC. And then they dispersed the Jews throughout their empire. And one commentator says, in the time of Paul, wherever there was business, there Jews could be found. And so throughout our story, we've seen, and even in the text that we read, when Paul is in Ephesus, the first thing that he goes and does is go to the synagogue. Because where you had at least 10 Jewish males, they would form a synagogue, a place where they would read the Hebrew scriptures and pray. And so when the gospel comes along, you've got this community of Jews. And now you've also got other non-Jews surrounding them who've seen the lifestyle of the Jews, who've heard their scriptures, normally called God-fearers, and who are receptive to the gospel. So even in the dispersing of the Jews by the Babylonian empire, God was shaping it for his purposes. I'll jump the Persians and, and come to the Greeks who through Alexander the Great swept the Persian empire and created an empire that was on three continents in, in Europe and in Asia and in Africa. And Alexander had, had this great ambition to bring Greek culture. And, and Greek culture is still with us with democracy and the Olympics. But one of the things of Greek culture that he brought was the Greek language. And so actually our, our Bibles, our New Testaments, were written in what's called Koine Greek or Common Greek. It's the everyday Greek language. And you see, Paul, when he's traveling from city to city, from continent to continent, has no problems in communicating the gospel because everybody spoke and understood Greek to some degree. And so even in the conquest of Alexander the Great, in his nationalism and ambition to spread Greek culture, God was shaping global history. And then finally, we come to the Roman Empire, the empire in which Paul himself and Jesus was crucified. You can say, hey, how, how does this empire that crucified the Son of God 
In what ways was God shaping history through it? See, when when Paul went on his journeys, he traveled on roads that were built by the Romans. I mean, you've, you've heard the saying, every road leads to Rome. Not only did he travel on these roads, that's, that's how he got from city to city unless he, he went by sea. But also, they brought a relative peace and stability that enabled him to travel freely more than any, at any other time. It was called, they, they, they proclaimed it as Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And even the Caesar began to proclaim himself as the son of God. Yet, in what they thought they were bringing the peace of Rome and Caesar was the son of God, they were preparing the groundwork, the infrastructure for the actual peace that reconciles God to man and man to man. They were preparing and laying the groundwork for the message of the true Son of God. Not only did they lay the infrastructure, but we saw how Paul, in city after city, is brought before the magistrates. This, This was the Roman legal system. And Paul, as a Roman citizen, understood and knew his rights. And so rather than uh, Christianity being snuffed out at its inception, even through the legal system of Rome, Christianity was allowed to proliferate and spread. Finally, the establishment of cities. You see, Paul going through city to city. Paul targeted the the major cities in each province because these were melting pots and mixing places of culture and the intelligentsia. This is where ideas were formed, as we saw in Athens. This is where commerce integrated people coming from one area to another, with Corinth itself being seen as this big commercial hub. And yet God would use the establishment of cities to spread his message into whole regions, areas, and provinces. Paul could, could say that he's, he's, he's preached the gospel in the province of Achaia or Macedonia when he simply visited just a few, a handful of cities and towns. He sees this man of Macedon saying, come over and help us. And he goes and he preaches in, in Philippi in Berea, in Thessalonica. Why? Because when the gospel enters into a city, it spreads into a region. And you might be wondering, what does this matter for you and I today? I remember as a 19-year-old, when when I began to read and, and study the Bible and learned of how all these things had come together, my mind was blown by the extent and the incredible way in which God had brought his gospel even to my own life in my day. And this morning, I want you to get a sense of the grandeur of God's love for you, that he would orchestrate and he would shape global empires that you would hear of his love for you. In Jesus Christ. Because nothing less would do. God moves kings and empires for your sake. Secondly, I want us to realize that our collective history is not just random or even the product of misguided humanity. We can adopt a view of history that is just tinted by nationalism or a sense of being, having experienced injustice. And it is true that these things have impacted our lives. Yet for those of us 
who have known this God who is shaping history, we see a bigger story, a bigger picture. That God is working it for our good. You see, we could, we could look at our colonial past as Africans or the history of Kenya or this fast and rapid growth of Nairobi as, as just random. Yet God has shaped even the colonial history of Africa, even the history of Kenya, even the rapid urbanization of Nairobi for his purposes. And I know I'm, I'm speaking from people from many different nationalities, even different tribes, different backgrounds, different cities. Right here in Kenya and beyond. And it's easy to become discouraged by our moment of history. It's easy to become discouraged if we look at our situation, our city, our nation, and think, man, nothing seems to be going right. You look at the politics, nothing seems to be going right. You look at the economy, nothing seems to be going right. You look at the morality, you look at the culture. Yet friends, we need to remember that God is in it and is in it to win it. God is shaping history for his purposes. Just... Let me have a drink of water. Now, if it is true that God is shaping global history, that God is shaping the history of our nation, that God is shaping the history of our city and our community in our time, we need to discern what God is doing in history in our time. You see, because when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we're saying is that, God, we want to be involved in the bigger picture. We want to be involved in your agenda. We want to be involved in how you are shaping history in our day and age and let it happen. We, we want to be a people who are on board with God's agenda rather than trying to get God to fit into the box of our personal agendas. Not only would it be completely irrational, but even for us as a church, Rather than saying, hey, God, would you come and bless our plans and, and do this for us and, and shape us in this way. We need to be responding to what God is doing in our city and in our nation and saying, Lord, would you open our eyes to see what you're doing that we might be involved. God is shaping global history. Do you have the bigger picture? But not only is God shaping global history, God is also shaping your personal history and mine. You see, this is how Paul understood himself. If you read in Galatians 1.15 and 16, this is what he says about himself. But when he, that is God, who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that, my, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, Paul, in this text, is explaining how he had received the message about Jesus, that it hadn't come from people, he wasn't taught it by any man, but God was the one who had revealed to him. And one of the things about Paul was that he opposed the message about Jesus. He went about persecuting the church. He, he tried to destroy it. And that's what he explains just before he gets to this verse. And then he says, but actually, while I was set on going in this direction, God had a plan for me that was before I was born. And when he was pleased to intervene and act in, in my life at that moment in time, he came and he rescued me by his grace. And then he chose to reveal his son 
Jesus through me, that I might preach him to the Gentiles. And so Paul began to understand his life through that lens when he looked at his heritage as a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, when he looked at how he had been a Pharisee and and how he had studied the scriptures, when, when he looked at everything that he had been exposed to through this lens that actually God was shaping me. For his purpose. Now, there are a couple of things about Paul that we might not pick up just through reading, but even they, they come out through the story of him in, in Europe and, and, and the history maker series. Paul was very educated. He came from a place called Tarsus. Now, in, in that time, there were three kind of major centers of of education in the Roman world. There was Athens, there was Alexandria, of which we'll see Apollos when we go to the next part of the scripture, and then there was Tarsus. So Paul was a Jew, but he was raised in Greek culture. And so having studied at the feet of Gamaliel, this renowned rabbi, he was conversant both with the Hebraic or the Hebrew scriptures, and so he could argue about them. But he, he was also unusually conversant in Greek literature. And so when he was in Athens, he was able to quote from some Greek poets. Now, this is totally unusual. And there's a story that's told of a, of a young Jewish man who is studying under his rabbi grandfather. And so he, having studied, he comes to his grandfather and says, Grandfather, I have studied all the law. Now, could I please study the Greek poets? And then his grandfather thought for a moment. And then he answered him, If you can find a time that is neither day or night, you can use that to study the Greek poets. Why was he responding that way? Because in Joshua, God said to Joshua, meditate upon the law day and night. And so for the Jew, the law and the Hebrew story was all that they kind of concentrated on. But you see Paul being able to discuss with the Epicureans and the Stoics and being able to quote from Stoic philosophers. Paul was shaped for this mission. Not only was he unusually educated, Paul had an unusual mix of background. His Greek was very good, his Hebrew was very good, but he was also a Roman citizen. We saw in Philippi when he says, is it lawful for you to just beat a Roman citizen without trial? And so God shaped Paul uniquely for this mission. And you might think, yeah, you know, Paul was unusually intelligent or or Paul was uh, really privileged. You know, he came from Israel. These are God's people. They are blessed. That's why he was uniquely shaped. But I'm, I'm, I'm just a kikuyu from Kiamba. You know, how how is God shaping my history? Listen to what Paul says about himself. When he considers who he is, he says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. So when Paul considers himself, he's not considering his great intellect, his great privileged background as a Hebrew or a Jew. He's saying, no, I was the worst of sinners. And God came and, and saved me. And God used me. Paul is saying, I, I was the worst candidate that you could think of. For God to love and God to rescue and God to use. But he did it anyway. And you want to know why? 
Listen to what Paul says in the next verse. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. And so Paul is saying, hey guys, God actually used me saved me to make an emphatic point that if God can use this guy, Paul, he can do it to anyone. If God can love Paul, he can love anyone. If God can rescue Paul, he can rescue anyone. You see, God came for the worst cases. He came for the lost causes. He came for those who are seemingly unredeemables. I don't know if you've kind of got cousins or brothers in, in your family and you're like, you know, when you're discussing family members, you talk about this person, you talk about this person and then when his name or her name comes up, you're like, ah, no, we, we, we just don't talk about that one. Or maybe you're that brother, that sister or that cousin. It's like, this, that's, it's, it's, it's gone, it's beyond repair. If it was insurance, they would say it's a write-off. But God came to save and to use the write-offs. So now, there's, there's, there's no Wanjiku, there, there's no Otieno or Atieno, there's no Wafula, there's no Kevo, Brayos, Tivo, who will say, God cannot love me, God cannot use me. If you're wondering what's up with all those names, it's just, those are common names in Nairobi. And I say, oh, Sifa said, that sounds really good, but, but you don't know. You don't know me. You, I come from a poor family. I'm, I'm, I'm not that educated. In fact, I, I've got learning disabilities or, or some other disability. Or, or you might say, hey, look, that, that, that sounds great, but you know what? I'm, 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 I'm just a single lady or a single guy. Or you might say, no, I'm, I'm widowed or I'm divorced. Or on the other side, you might say, hey, I'm married. I'm, I'm, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Or you might say, I've got, I've got young kids. That, that sounds great for those guys. Or you might say, no, you know what? Maybe, but I, I feel like I'm the wrong color. I'm, I'm the wrong tribe. I come from the wrong part of Kenya. I'm, I'm just the wrong gender. So yeah, Cephas, that, that sounds good, but you actually don't know me. I've, I've done some terrible things in my life. I've, I've made big mistakes. I've blown it. It might be like I'm, I'm currently blowing it. I've got addictions. I've, I've got mental health issues. Cephas, I'm not the kind of person whose life is being shaped by God. Yet when we, when we look at the story of Paul, what we see is that it doesn't matter what mistakes you have made or how unworthy you may count yourself. God in his grace had a plan for you before you were born. God has had his hand on you to shape you. He's shaped your background. He, he's shaped your ethnicity. He, he's shaped the experiences in life that he might use you for his purposes. Now, I'm going to say something 
which I want to say with sensitivity. Because we, we don't have control of some of the things about us in our lives. For example, you might say, well, I'm, I'm German. And you know, the Germans, they're, they're blamed for World War I, World War II. They're blamed for this and that. And you might carry it on yourself as this guilt. In our day, right, there's this really controversial phrase of, of white privilege. And it comes up so explosive in different contexts. And you might end up carrying that. And think, oh, man, if, if, maybe if I was different. Or you, you might come from a family or, or a tribe or anything else. Listen, we all come with historical and cultural baggage. But God, in His grace, says there is therefore now no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free, all are one in Christ. And so this morning, I, I really feel that God wants to release some people here from that baggage. He said, no, no, God, how can God use me? Look, look at what has happened in the past. No, no, no. You can't carry the baggage of apartheid. You, you can't carry the baggage of the Holocaust. Even in that, God is shaping your history for his purposes. And I know even within that, there, there's, there's a, a whole can of worms. And you say, well, Cephas, if, if God is shaping my story, well, why did he allow my, my parents to abandon me? Why, didn't he, why did he allow my parents to die? Why did he allow this person to abuse me? Why, did he, why was I born into this family with this and that happened? Why did I have this and this damaging or traumatic experience? And to be honest, I, I don't have all the answers. But I love the scripture that Precious read this morning that puts our lives in context, that the suffering that we experience today cannot be compared to the glory that God is working in us. Friends, we, we, we don't have the whole picture. And so even in those painful, those traumatic experiences where it seems like God forsook you, may I suggest that even through those experiences, God will work them for your good and for His glory. As I close, I want to answer the question is, why would God go to these extreme lengths to shape global history and to shape your own personal history? To what end is God invested in the world and in your life? And the very direct answer that we see in, in what we've seen Paul doing and even what he is continuing to do through the scripture that we read is that it was for the preaching of the gospel and for the establishment or the formation of these gospelized or, or gospel-centered communities throughout the world. 
Why is God shaping the history of Kenya in our day? Well, it is for the proclamation of the gospel of his son because there is no other way to save. There is no other way to come out of the mess and the confusion. It's only through the gospel. This message comes and out of ashes, it, it brings life. Out of mourning, it brings praise. Out of death, it brings new creation. So Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save all people who believe. You can't draw a Venn diagram. You remember those from mathematics? And say, there are these people who need the gospel and these people who don't. There's only one big circle that encompasses everyone who has ever lived and they all need the gospel. And so God shapes the history of the world, is shaping Nairobi. I think, man, why is one tribe located at the intersection of Kiambu Road and Northern Bypass, these busy roads, is for the proclamation of the gospel. Not only did Paul proclaim the gospel, but Paul founded these communities that were created by faith in the gospel. What we call churches. And we know that because we've got the letters he would write. He wrote a letter to the Philippian church. He wrote a letter to the Thessalonians. He wrote letters to the Corinthians. Not only did he write letters, right at the end of our passage, Paul is strengthening the churches that he had planted at the beginning when he goes to Phrygia and Galatia. And you might think, man, I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, when people ask me, why did you come to Kenya? It's a bit of a tricky question. Because uh, I'll, you know, I, I, I respond that I came for the church. I, I came for one tribe church. And then people ask me, what do you do? Well, among other things, I'm a pastor. And it's very interesting to watch the reactions on people's faces. Some you can tell it's like, ah, not, a, not another one. It's kind of like, man, can, can I trust this guy? I remember the first time, I, 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 actually the second time I came to Nairobi. I think it was in 2018. And we were driving along, it might have been Limuru Road or Banana Road. And just... Like, at regular intervals, just closely together, you'd see these uh, signs. This church, that church, this church, that. And I was thinking to myself, man, this place is packed with churches. They don't need another church. And I remember when I was on the plane heading back home, I was thinking to myself, nah, God doesn't call me to Nairobi. This place is full of churches. But lo and behold, here I am. It was even against my will, but, but here I am. And then you begin to talk to people. And you're hearing people's stories, hearing people's lives, and you see how deeply people need the gospel. People need gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, missional churches right here in Nairobi. Friends, we're not just to be another damn church. God calls us to be this river church because those are his purposes. And so I began this morning by asking, do you have the bigger picture. Do you have the bigger picture for your life? Do you have the bigger picture for your, for your marriage, your parenting? 
for your career? Do you, do you have the bigger picture for your studies? Do you have the bigger picture for this nation, this city? And I want to end by, by asking you this. If God could so invest in shaping the world, in shaping history, in shaping you for the purposes of his gospel and the establishment of these gospel-centered communities. Are you willing to give your life for anything less? Will you give your life for a lesser thing? What is your bigger picture? A bigger car? A bigger house? Better education for your kids than you had? A bigger bank account? Is that big enough? Is that what you're going to invest your one God-given life. What is your bigger picture? You see, Paul ran his race. Even in our story, I, sh I showed you how Paul starts off in Antioch, ends in Antioch. Mission accomplished. Mission finished. Paul had his time. God shaped him. God shaped history for his time, in his time. And guess what? This is your time. This is my time. God has shaped history that you and I might make the most of our time today. Will you seize the day? Will you expect great things from God and attempt great things for God? Will you join the history-making God as he shapes history and your life for the gospel and the formation and strengthening of these gospel-centered communities? I'll just invite the band back up as we close. I just want to invite us to stand. <clears throat> this morning I spoke about God wanting to release some people of baggage that you have carried with you cultural baggage, historical baggage. And if that resonated with you, I believe this morning that is a moment of freedom. We spoke or we sang about how he has resurrection or how he has given us resurrection power and that he came to give us freedom, freedom, freedom. And scripture teaches us that where the Spirit is, there is freedom. And I, I really want you to lay a hold of this, that God wants you to walk in freedom. Freedom from historical baggage of what might have happened in the past, cultural baggage, racial baggage, tribal baggage, and some, you might be carrying personal baggage. This is actually baggage you, you collected yourself. And maybe you feel that because you made the mistake, then it's, you must live with guilt and shame for the rest of your life. But I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus lived a perfect life that you might walk in the freedom that his perfection brought. This is what the message of the gospel is. 
that Christ on the cross took your sin, scarred, sin, battered, death, death-deserving life and in exchange gives you His life, His perfect obedience, His perfect innocence. And you might say, hey, I've done some things or I've had things that were done to me that were so degrading. I, I feel like I've, I've lost value, I've lost worth. This morning in Christ, God sees you with the worth of His Son. That's why He's, he's not ashamed to give His Son as the price for you. And so why don't you respond and say, yes, Lord, I, I want this freedom. Freedom from the baggage. I remember in the story of the pilgrim's progress when Christian comes to the cross, to the mountain, and he's been carrying this bag all along, this weight that he, he could never release. And finally, when he comes to the cross, that bag just fell and it was like weight falling from him. And this morning, for some of you, you're going to feel a weight taken off your shoulders, a weight taken off your lives. For some of you, you're going to realize, actually, this is what freedom feels like. This is freedom. That when we sing this song, He has given us freedom. You will feel like running, dancing, flying because you've experienced the truth of that. And so I want us to sing that song and I want you to respond. And if you would like prayer along any of those lines, please just come forward. And then for some of you, it's saying, yes, I want to give and invest my life in God's purposes. If God would shape history for His gospel and these gospel-centered communities, I want that. I want to invest my life in that. And so as we sing, I want us to respond. Let's embrace freedom and let's embrace this history-making God. Amen.